Welcome aboard, Captain. Welcome back to Star Trek Minute, the semi-daily podcast where we talk about and celebrate Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, one sad minute at a time. I'm one of your co-hosts, David Stoker. And I'm one of your other sad co-hosts, Chris LaSalle. Hey, Chris. Hey, Dave. Yeah, this minute minute makes me feel a little sad. Yeah, it's a little melancholy. Yeah, from the, the music, and which we'll get into, and... To the opening verse, it, yeah, it definitely makes me... It, this movie definitely stounds, starts on a downer. Yeah. So we're, we're here on minute, um, minute number six, and this minute starts with, uh, you know, based on Star Trek, created by Gene Roddenberry. And this ends with Kirk's monologue um, saying, uh, uh, Savick and my son David are exploring the Genesis planet. Finally. So we're through the credits. Yep. So we've we've, you know, I think it's about twenty seconds worth of credits, and then we see we see uh, we see movie. All right. <laughs> basically, we don't count what, the other five, six minutes. Yeah. yeah. So basically, five minutes and twenty seconds worth of credits, which not bad, and then we get into you know we get into actual movie. Awesome. And I jump All right, right let's, in. Let's do our due diligence then. Let's go through the credits. So so you said you, said you were going to do the ball, right? I was just going to sit here. Sure. So. Uh, you know, we have based on Star Trek, created by Gene Roddenberry, and uh, you know we we know Gene, we love Gene. Thank you, Gene. And then, uh, and then uh, you know, it says written and produced by Harv Bennett. Now, I'm going to be honest and say I knew Harv Bennett produced this. I did not know he wrote it. He did. He think he uh, the story is he started uh, after Rathacon had its huge success the summer of '82. Um, he got right back into it. He dove right in and. Uh, put together a, a follow-up story, a continuation from uh, from the prior film, and uh, which he did. Ratha Khan, he did executive produce, so mm. there's continuity at least there. Yep. Um, but yeah, he uh, he's got <clears throat> he's got. I think we'll talk about it during the during the season. Uh, looking at his original treatment, I think right script treatment story outline. Um, we'll kind of compare and contrast how the final film mapped up against his right. original outline. There's a lot of stuff that's there, uh, but a lot of stuff got cut and um, some significant changes, which are kind of fun and actually have to be talked about as, as part of our analysis of the movie. Yep. Um, so yeah, so Harv, Harv's back. We definitely talked about him last season as far as all of, he did a lot of television, television work uh, before Rathacon and uh, the Star Trek films, um, notably, the six million dollar man, the bionic woman, um, and uh, he did work with uh, Leonard Nimoy um, on a woman called Golda, um, yep. which is kind of how the relationship that Leonard Nimoy and Harv Bennett established, and uh, as part of doing that film, uh, is what uh, led to Leonard Nimoy directing this film. Um, and we've got, I guess I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but that's our next credit directed by some guy named Leonard Nimoy, Leonard Nimoy. not even in the movie. So why even bother talking about him? I, I'm sure people 
probably went, oh, that's why his name wasn't in there. Um, or like, what? Wait a minute. Yeah. He's directing the film, but he's not. Is he in the film? What is going on? It's just more confusion. I think I, rem- I remember that part for me when it came out. I was like, wait, he's directing it? He's, is he in it? What is you know? And for me, it was like, well, he's not going to be in it if he's directing. He can't do both. So <laughs> naive, Chris. But yeah, do you know the story of, of how he almost didn't direct it? I, I did not. Yeah, so he threw his hat in the ring. Leonard Nimoy threw his hat in the ring and said, yeah, I think I'd like to um, direct the next film. I've got some great ideas, and <clears throat> he's got experience, um, uh, clearly with the characters in the, in the, in the franchise. Um, threw his hat in the ring uh, to the folks in Paramount, and then uh, they said, wow, that's a great idea. Let me, let's think about it. We'll get back to you. And then kind of radio silence, and he didn't hear from anybody for weeks. And then finally uh, uh, reached back to the head of Paramount and said, hey, never heard from you. I was wondering what's going on. And like, like, well, Leonard, you know, we don't really think it's a good idea since you, you don't seem to like Star Trek at all. Uh, we don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> He's like, well, what's that now? And so this is referring back to his book, I Am Not Spock. Right. Um, that he had written, uh, shame on me, I don't remember when that book came out. Um, but it was basically misconstrued. That book was widely misconstrued as him saying, "Hey, I'm Lena, I'm not Spock. Everybody thinks I'm Spock, and you know, I'm not. I don't like Spock. I'm not a fan of Star Trek. I'm Leonard Nimoy, and I want to do other things in my career." That's what people kind of misconstrued that book, right? Um, and so all the way up to Paramount, and they're like, <laughs> and so he had to go in and basically explain all that. He's like, that's not what the book was about. That's not what I was saying. <laughs> I love Star Trek. Um, so he had to kind of, after that initial, yeah, great, let's do it. Um, he had to kind of talk the upper management at, at Paramount, talk them back into uh, letting him helm the film. How much, you know, knowing, you know, Har Bennett and Nimoy and their relationship, how much, how much control do you think Nimoy had over, you know, the decisions he wanted to make versus what maybe Harv Bennett and the producers wanted to make? That's a good question. I, uh, it's part of my homework over our hiatus. I read uh, <clears throat> Leonard Nimoy's uh, biography, I Am Spock, uh, which was the later one. Uh, I also read uh, one of Shatner's books where he's talking about the films, and uh, I don't remember a lot of conflict. It was more the conflict was really about him, you know, just getting to direct. Right. Uh, but beyond that, I don't think there was a lot of clashes between him and Harv. Unless you've got a story. No, I don't. I just was curious. I know that um, uh, I had read Shatner's book recently about, um, over the hiatus, about um, his relationship with Nimoy. And part of the, the deal that him and Nimoy, Shatner and Nimoy had was that if you know, they, they sort of way back during the Star Trek, the the TV show days, he had, you know, they had gone and said, you know, if one gets something, the other gets it. So basically sort of they both got pay raises at the same time and, and things like that. Well, you know, when Nimoy got to direct, you know, Shatner was like, well, we're going to go to management. And when you get a chance to direct, then I'm going to get a chance to direct. Uh, and, yes. Yeah. And that's why he ended up directing uh, Star Trek V. So, um, and take that what you want. I don't think 
Shatner's a bad director, but, you know, we'll get into that movie when we get there. But I just found that to be very interesting, you know, a dynamic between the two. Yeah, in a way, it's it's uh, you know, the camaraderie there, right? It was because uh, that that I I I've heard of that too, and it was it wasn't like a well, if you directing, I get to direct. It was more like like oh, let's make let's make a deal. Like you get to direct, I get right. to direct the next one, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was it was definitely not antagonistic, and um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yes, we will talk about <laughs> William Shatner's directing. Yeah, so. Um... During my research, back to the original question I'd asked you was about how was Spock, you know, or Spock, was Nimoy, you know, in complete control? And one of the quotes I I, I found here was um, someone had asked him the question, you know, how at home were you behind the camera? Did you feel you were on, had training wheels on and how satisfied were you with the finished film? And I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this, but he basically went back to say, you know, I was very comfortable behind the camera. I did feel that I was quite controlled. And he said he was made to justify everything and explain everything that he did. And, you know, he said uh, a couple of things that the, you know, he didn't think it was necessarily a fun film. Again, paraphrasing. And that the story needed to be modified. But he said in the end that the film was okay. So... I, you know, reading through, it's a big, long paragraph, and again, I'm sort of paraphrasing a lot of it, but, and he even said, you know, it was not a gigantic runaway hit, but it was not considered a failure. So, I mean, he's sort of in the middle of every comment he makes, you know, it's, I was comfortable, but I was controlled, you know, we had a story that was, yeah, and but we did okay, and we made money, you know, I feel like... Being very... uh political or very uh, PC about his responses. So that's sort of why I asked the question. I, I, you know, I wonder if he was, you know, because this is Harv Bennett's story and he produced it and he put it all together was, you know, and based on the story you said where, you know, we're not sure if you should direct this. And, you know, I wonder if it was more of like Nimoy was directing it, but, you know, every time they did something, Harv was right there being like, no, 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 we're going to do this. Or they had to have a discussion and be like, no, you got to do this. You know, I'm just wondering how much yeah, that's is, interesting. is really Nimoy and how much is really Harv Bennett. Right. Well, we've already talked about, um, it's interesting you say that because the opening sequence, right? Last week or first week? Yeah. Um, last week. <laughs> the, uh, the, you know, previously on Star Trek, that whole yes. sequence of, of running the uh, highlights from uh, Wrath of Khan, that was all Harp Bennett. Um, right. And uh, um, yeah, I think this is, you know, I think we joked about we'll have to keep an eye on the editing of, you know, Shagru's editing. Yep. <laughs> How well he does. Uh, but, we, <laughs> but we should keep an eye out too on uh, there's definitely some things in the film that are uh, specifically Nimoy that I know are Nimoy. Right. Um, and things that he, that he, that he, you know, deliberately wanted to do. And it's, it's obvious once you hear about it and look for it. Um, but yeah, we should keep an eye, eye out for Bennett's potentially heavy hand. Yeah. Came into play. Yeah. I think this is going to be a great movie to dissect minute by minute. Cause That's I feel like, cause I feel like there's, there's definitely things that will, that play at odds with each other. For sure. 
it's pretty impressive too when you think about it. I mean, sure, it's you know Leonard Nimoy and stuff. This is his first yeah. directing gig. Yeah, you know, a major science fiction. You know, it's got all of the technical aspects of a you know science fiction film, um, and all this you know the, the special effects and the. You know, we'll be talking about that in this minute, um, but then the emotional story that goes with it. And, yep. Uh, it's quite a lot to, to to take on for a first time directing. I think his next film was was three three men and a baby, um, which again was a was a was a great movie. Oh yeah, no no that's that's an awesome movie, uh, and uh, but a little more you know probably a little easier to pull off than uh, science fiction. <laughs> All right, well to be continued. More Harv and Leonard yep. action as we go throughout throughout the film, um, but let's talk about. Let's talk about the first appearance of the Enterprise. Yes. So this, I feel like, you know, we've been pulling back, pulling back, pulling back. And now we sort of off to the, you know, to the right, we see the Enterprise moving into focus. And damn, does it look good. <laughs> I'm just going to come out and say, I think it looks good. I think the this shot looks really good. Well, I'll tell you, I, I completely agree with you. And, and I think so ILM, right? Industrial Light and Magic is back uh, doing all the model work. Um, and uh, yes, the Enterprise looks fantastic continuity wise. And of course, you, you've got all the, the, the scars uh, alongside, but now you actually get, you get this great glimpse of it as it's, it kind of passes through the frame where you can see all the, you know, plating that's been kind of just you can just imagine welded back onto the side of the ship to yeah. cover all the holes that were um, blown open in the last film. Uh, well, I think what else this sort of shows us is really how bad the Enterprise was hit. Because, I mean, when you go back to Wrath of Khan, I think most people think of that, you know, that great shot, that side-by-side where the Reliant opens up on the midsection of the Enterprise and the phasers are just sort of cutting right through. But you see... You know, the, the saucer has been damaged in multiple places. The nacelle was damaged in multiple places. The side of the torpedo bay underneath, you know, where the, the, the saucer connects to the neck has been damaged. I mean, there's really gives us a great view of the battle-worn, limping Enterprise back to uh, Starbase or Stardock or whatever we're calling it. Uh, space Dock. Space Dock. Yeah, it does. It looks awesome. It's it's it looks like it's peeling in places. I mean, yeah. it's not just a you know. There's some nice detailing because it could just be oh, just like a little blast mark on the saucer. But it's you know, it's blast marks, but it's also like chunks of stuff are hanging off the off the saucer. There's you know, it's just stuff that looks like looks like peeling paint. But you know, whatever it is, it's just it looks exactly. Uh, there's something about it. I you know, there's something about this the pristine Enterprise, beautiful ship, but there's something about seeing it. Uh, you know, in this state, you know, out after the battle, um, you know, repaired, but not back to right. itself. There's something, there's something I like about it that I'm not articulating well, but it just, it looks cool. Um, why haven't they made these models, the, the, the battle damaged enterprise? I'd buy that one. Oh, definitely. I would buy this Lego set. Oh, don't we talked about that last season? I know. I would. I would love a Lego Enterprise battle damage or otherwise. But that would see. But that's the thing, right? With with Lego, you could make your own battle damage. You could build the model and then you just rip yeah. out some of the pieces and replace it with black and orange ones. <laughs> I know. I know. What could be someday? Could be, yes. 
Um, I, I said, I do. I love the Enterprise. I love how it looks. Doing this podcast has mm. already ruined this opening shot for me. Really? Because I never noticed it until doing this minute. We talked about the Starfield running in reverse. Oh, yeah. Um, it's still running in reverse, and the Enterprise like cuts in across the – it It looks totally wrong. Really? Yeah. I was going to – I'm blown away by that because I was going to say th- this minute has two great transitions. The transition of us moving backwards and the Enterprise sort of flying into focus – and then the transition of the Enterprise going by and pulling into Kirk's quarter or into the bridge from Kirk looking out the window. Yeah, I, I'm all right with that one. I'm all right with the window transition. But there's some the I got I got hung up on the 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 direction the stars are moving and the direction the Enterprise is moving. They're they're like two different planes. Well, I think yeah. we're moving back at a certain speed. The Enterprise is coming across at a certain speed. Their speed is overtaking us, so therefore it's passing us as we're going backwards. That was deliciously nerdy. Yes. Yes, it was. Um, <clears throat> but I, I, I don't know. I just I feel like it's seamless. You know, it goes right from directed Leonard Nimoy to a starfield to you slowly seeing the Enterprise, and I feel like there's no matting. There's no... It, it just looks really well done i will defer we can hey we we disagreed on a lot of stuff and we disagree for 30 something years we've disagreed on stuff we can disagree on this all right i'm not gonna force you thank you you're wrong but i'm not gonna force you (laughs) all right i forgot that we get to see kirk in this i thought it was just kirk um uh, just him doing a voiceover, but uh, we actually get to see him. Yeah, it's just a brief. You know, we might as well get into the what he's what he's saying. So the Enterprise, the Enterprise comes into view. Uh, you know, and then there's a voiceover, and it's the captain's. You know, captain's log, USS Enterprise, captain's personal log. So this is his personal log. It is not a you know one that's going to go to Starfleet. This is him just sort of talking, I guess, getting his feelings out. Dear Diary. Dear Diary. And uh, it says, with our most of our battle damage repaired, we're almost home, yet I feel uneasy, and I wonder why. Perhaps it's the emptiness of this vessel. Most of our trainees' crew has been reassigned. Lieutenant Savick and my son, David, are exploring the Genesis planet. Like I said, sort of opening up the show, is that this is very sad. This minute makes me very sad. Well, it's, it it makes sense, right? Given the what happened in the last film, the way the last film ended, and this is picking up closely thereafter, right? Shortly thereafter. Oh, I agree. I mean, it definitely you know where you the beginning of this movie starts with the you know the the Kirk and Spock death scene, the Kirk you know saying you know his was the most human, and then you know we see the the pod and we pull back and here we get Kirk still feeling feeling uneasy and you know uneasy though that's an interesting emotion yeah it kind of fits in with the makes sense that he says uneasy right but we'll save it jumping ahead yes so so here's here's a question I have for you <clears throat> based on his personal log he does say with most of our battle damage repaired yep I can't not hear battle damage and my question for you is, did he, he coin the phrase 
battle damage when it comes to toys? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wonder. Because um... <laughs> that's when I hear battle damage, I think of toys, yeah. right? You get the X-Wing with the battle damage stickers. Yep. Um, and remind me, wasn't there – what toy was it where you could press a button and things would, like, spin around yep. and you'd see the battle damage? Do you remember what it was? I don't, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I'm like uh, – so, so whenever I hear that phrase, I immediately jump to toys and I immediately see – those whatever that whatever that toy was with the, whoosh, the things flip around and you have battle damage or you get the X-wing stickers with the. Part of me feels like it was a He-Man thing. Like he pushed a <laughs> button and he had some sort of like chest thing on. Yeah, I'm almost thinking it was a He-Man thing. Uh, yeah, it was like battle damage He-Man or something. Oh, was it battle damage armor? Yeah, something like that. And he had like a spinny thing on his chest and you pushed like something in the back and it was like, you know, or, or uh, yeah, you sort of hit it and it spun to the battle damage and it looked like it was all dented. Yeah. Yeah. It couldn't but have been a totally chest. Too- That'd be gross. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. So um, I hope all of our listeners right now are going, oh my God. Uh, so I would love to hear from everyone. Drop us a line on Twitter, on the Listener Federation on Facebook, love to hear your favorite battle damage toy story. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry, I know I just took it. It was I, I just took our sad moment and turned it into a toy moment. But no, but that's that's a, that's a great. I never really thought of that. I never. But you are totally right. Like we're both ch- children of the '80s. You know, we were we sort of went through our teens and you know early years in the, in the '80s. So I totally. That brings back so many memories. That's why I think I remember He-Man having battle damage armor. Battle damage armor. All right. Um, the only other note I had on this minute, Dave, yeah, was we get to see our first appearance already of a clipboard on the bridge. We do. You are correct. Right at the end of the minute, it's a female trainee or officer. I don't know what her title is. Yeah. Uh, but she is carrying the ubiquitous clipboard, and I just uh, had a big smile on my face. I'm like, oh, they didn't waste any time. We're only 30 seconds in. Yep, no hard to see that clipboard. So I think this is the first appearance we see with Kirk with his open, you know, open uniform. Mm. So is that just now? That's just what he's got. Is that what he's going to do from now on? He was all buttoned up at the beginning of Rathacon. Is he just wearing it down all the time now? I think so. I think that's the way it's, you know, it's stylish. Makes him look different. I never, I never noticed. <clears throat> um, you can really see the insignia on the the strap that holds the flap. Yeah, assuming that's his admiral star. Um, I never really noticed it before. It's 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 well lit. I know that at the end of Wrath um, of Khan, he was closed when he's you know he. They're on the bridge, and, you know, they, um, far, far better thing that I do, you know, that, that whole uh, collection of people are together, you know, uh, McCoy and Sulu, the, the, the obligatory bridge scene, he's closed up. Oh. All right, good sir. Uh, yeah, this is a quick minute, because we're going to get into the meat of the, you know, the meat yeah. of the, the movie, you know, we're starting to get into it, and... Um, I'm, Finally. 
Yeah. Yeah, and we've got guests next week. Yes. Uh, so that's exciting. So uh, yeah, I think we I think we mentioned it, uh, but we will be uh, we'll having having a new guest this season, uh, some returning favorites this season. Yeah. Um, so we're pretty excited about it. And uh, uh, our first guests are kicking off next week with us. We didn't uh, didn't want to burden them with six minutes of credits and rehash and whatnot. So um, so yeah, why don't we wrap it up here? Um, and uh, I'd like to. Uh, uh, invite you all to come on out to iTunes and uh, rate and review the show for us. We love uh, love a great five star rating. Uh, love a review to get your feedback. Our goal this season is to get at least fifty reviews on iTunes. Um, with the t- with the, the I think we talked about this last week with the title change um, from Rathacon Minute to Star Trek Minute. We are now one of many Star Trek podcasts out there, and uh, uh, getting a Ratings and reviews will help us get uh, a little higher in the ranks and uh, hopefully better noticed by a larger audience and uh, could use your help. So if you could do that, that'd be awesome. And we will be back again on Monday with Minute 7 with guests um, talking about Star Trek 3, a search for Spock here at the Star Trek Minute. Bye now. Bye now.